Welcome to the Few Podcast. Never in the field of human contact was so much owed by so many to so few. So you want to become one of the few. You can't skip steps. You have to put one foot in front of the other. Things take time. I have a dream. Have a dream. Hear inspiring stories from the few and learn about what it takes to turn your dreams into a reality. And it's a day for all Australians, isn't it? It's a day that brings us all together. Marvellous. Your hosts, Boo and Sean. Here we are for the inaugural The Few podcast with uh, Boo and Sean. We'd love to thank our sponsors, ICMI, Momentum Media, After the Burner, Sean Sewell, Inner Circle, as we bring to you today, uh, Deb Deeth, a wonderful entrepreneur and owner of Greater Glass uh, in Sydney. We're going to share a few stories today about her success, but also maybe COVID isn't doom and gloom after all. Sean, pretty excited to get started today. How are you, mate? Great, mate. Absolutely. Really looking to get stuck in and uh, get stuck with our first, as you said, the inaugural podcast and welcome a very good friend and client of mine, Deb Deeth from Greater Glass. Now, Deb runs yeah, Greater Glass in Sydney, in Southern Sydney, has been running it for a period of time. As I understand it, it was originally her husband's business. She then took the reins because he was focusing more on glazing than being a business owner. And eventually, and I'll, I'll say this with, you know, love and, uh, I suppose positivity. With utmost respect, of course. Yeah, with much respect. That's it. That uh, that you may have sacked your husband from the business at some point, so that you could actually keep going and growing the business. But welcome, Deb. It's great to have you on board. Thank you. Thanks. Got to make the tough calls in business, don't you, Deb? You know, you can't make the one that's always going to be the popular vote. Sometimes you've got to do what's in the best interest of the business. Absolutely. Correct. I think it definitely was, wasn't it, Deb? Yeah, that's right. And your relationship. And that was the number one thing. It was about saving our marriage, really. Anyone that's worked with their partner before, I'm sure, understands exactly where I'm coming from there. Absolutely. Do you think it's possible? I mean, recently or until a couple of years ago, I had a similar scenario. It's so difficult, isn't it, to keep work at work and home at home. I mean, it's. I take my hat off to people that navigate it and do you think it is possible, Deb? Do you think there's personality types that can do it? Absolutely. Yeah, I do. I do think it's possible. I think there's a lot of successful family businesses out there and some of them have been successful for generations that also have their children on board. For us, it's the still work does not stay at work, even though Phil, my husband, doesn't work directly in the business anymore. He's still very vested and and is my life partner and we still talk about it at home from time to time. The thing that works well now is because operationally he's not there I can actually run he's not close to the situation so now I I have an advantage of running things past him and he's not in the politics of the day-to-day and and the people so he's more uh, neutral he's more absolutely neutral. and so he's he's a much better advisor to the business and he's still very much a master glazier and a person in the industry so yeah he offers a lot of advice from the sideline now which I prefer. So yeah, it's good. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, absolutely. We're super excited. I guess Deb, what we try to introduce to people and something about the few is this really running your own business, being able to effectively hunt and gather for yourself is something that is incredibly challenging and the statistics are thrown around. It might be one in 10 people can run a successful business on a sustainable basis. What is it that got you excited about being in business and to to go on this journey because you've got to be a little bit of a glutton for punishment to to own and operate your own business, don't you? Yeah, but I think going in, people don't realise that. 
they think, oh, I'm going to have all this free time. I'm going to make lots of money. But it's actually, it is a slog. It's, it's, it's hard work. We didn't consciously set out to create a glass business. It just evolved to where we are today. And that um, was a set of circumstances. It was just prior to the GFC and and my husband was working for a glass company and I'd sort of studied a bit of business and was working in the corporate scenario. And Deb, Deb, did you enjoy working corporate? Was that did you always have itchy feet before this opportunity presented itself or was it just kind of an organic transition? It was a bit of an organic transition, but there are a number of factors that occurred, including me having a child and there being lots of terrorism sort of scenarios and scares in Sydney at the time. So I was travelling on a train and being pregnant and, and Phil lost his job. And, and then there was a number of factors that led to where we are today. And so I didn't actually purposely set out to create a business. However, I think when I wasn't in corporate and I was on, I was on maternity leave at the time, and I guess I do... I think it's the, it was a creative thing more than a, a financial thing. It was the, the aspiration to build something from the ground up and look, we'll get a logo and we'll do this and we'll do that. And, and just the, and the, it kind of went from there, it kind of snowballed to, gee, we can, we can really have something here. And I think that was all in my head, not Phil's head. Phil's head was just go and put glass in holes and, <laughs> and, and get an invoice out there. Yeah, for amazing. me, I, I was like a million miles into two years ahead of myself and, and and you've been you've been quite heavily involved in the glazing industry as well haven't you yeah and and then the one thing led to another and then someone tapped me on the shoulder and said oh we need a we need a voice particularly a female voice associated with on the board for the glass association and, and I just I was passionate about the product I actually do think it's an amazing product and people don't understand the different things that you can do with glass. So that, and I, I love it. I've got glass everywhere. The whole studio <laughs> so here is glass, glass, glass. Yeah. Just it connects you, connects you with the, with nature and the outside world. Absolutely. So, so obviously, you, you know, you know, one of the things that I'm very, I suppose stand for is around success and the concept of success being a holistic thing, not a, not an attainment of a goal. It's a state of mind. It's a state of being rather than, you know, when I have this, when I do this, when I'm known for that, you know, when I've got a private jet and a Ferrari or whatever, that success is a state, it's a state of being. And mm. I guess, you know, the question for you, Deb, do you, you know, when you wake up in the morning, most days, I don't think it's going to be every day, but the majority of the time when you wake up in the morning, do you feel like a success? And if so, or if not, why? Like what, what how does that, how does that sort of feel for you? If you had have asked me that question, probably two or three years ago, I wouldn't have known how to answer it. So the short answer is yes. Right now, I absolutely wake up in the morning and feel like, I don't know if success is the right word, but I definitely have, for me, the success for me is choice. It's actually having, it's not a thing, like I said, it's not a bank account with a million dollars in it. It's actually a feeling and it's a feeling that, that everything's okay. It is a, it is a sense of contentment. Yep. And that, that just didn't happen. There's a number of things that I have worked on in myself over the last few years, probably since meeting you, Sean, if I'm honest. And that was doing a lot of work on myself and trying to define 
and it's not so much a purpose, it is, it is actually a feeling. So for me, that was working out what my core values are and then understanding that when I don't feel, when there's a feeling of unrest within myself, it's generally because one of my core values, uh, I'm either not living it and I'm out of alignment with it. And, and once I understood what those values were, then I can I, I sort of mould and, and work around them and and so for instance one of my main core values is connection so if i have a a loss of connection with one of my close or one of my leadership team members or, or one of my kids until i've resolved that and i used to let it fester and i don't anymore until yeah, i resolve that, that yeah. Uh, yeah it does it really weighs me down and i i, I just spent i spent two hours with a team doing exactly this it's just like look <laughs> Stop. We, we are skirting a massive issue here. No one wants to be the person that, that actually puts it out there. And then once it's out there, uh, it's, like a, it's like a sense of relief to everyone, isn't it? And you can just move forward. Constantly moving forward. Crucial conversations we have to have that we, we tend to avoid because we make up what the outcome is going to be or we're attached to how someone should or shouldn't react or respond to that. Mm. But in the end, it doesn't matter how someone reacts or responds. It's our intentionality and how we deliver the message that counts. That person could be all happy about it. That person could go and yell and scream and, and slam the door on the way out. That's their stuff, not our own. So when you, as you say, Deb, when you come back to that, and I know that knowing you and forming a, a friendship with you over the last few years as well, understanding there's a lot of similarities there, that same thing, my deep connection is my number one value. And, mm. and my definition of success, which is a process I go through with my clients, is helping them to, to define success is the freedom to choose and the impact I have on those around me. And now the, what we've seen is that the, during this COVID thing in the last three months of kind of being trapped at home, I haven't had as much freedom to choose and I haven't had as much of an impact on people around me because I haven't been able to get out of the state to do my events and things like that I normally do. So I have felt that kind of lower my, my feeling of, of success because of limiting those two things that are most important to me. So it's a really important thing that, you know, that anyone obviously listening as well, should be considering and what is it that you define as success? What is so important to you that you could wake up in the morning despite not having achieved all your goals, despite having had a crap day yesterday? What is it that actually makes you feel successful? And it's really, really important to do that. A lot of people don't. Mm. It, right. It actually changed my life. And it wasn't so much defining the definition. It was having a self-awareness of when I'm not feeling my best mentally for for want of a better word or just something doesn't feel right it's identifying what it is and usually it always comes back to a misalignment with my core values yeah absolutely Absolutely. Mm. something's out of whack and how did that feel deb like if you look at when you started out on this adventure and i guess with most uh, most adventures like this you have in your back of your mind that this is going to be successful but what does success feel like today with that self-awareness compared to the many years that you were successful, obviously, but without the level of awareness that you have today? What does the day-to-day different feel like? And is there anything you could, you could share with people to help them get there faster? The number one thing for me is it's all about me. That sounds extremely selfish. However, my business doesn't operate without a leader being content if that's I'm not sure exactly how to put words around it however if I walk into our showroom today or our office and I'm in a shit mood it has a drastic effect on everybody else and I I didn't acknowledge the power 
that I had, or even that one person has. So it's really about aligning your team with your values as well. And, and that takes courage because people think, oh, what a load of bullshit this is. But it absolutely makes an amazing difference. So as soon as I worked out what my core values were and what my business stood for, and then once my team got on board with that and did similar exercises, I think a lot of them were like me, very sceptical about that at first. But it really is about looking inside yourself because it's not, business is not about business. Business is about people. Everything's about people and personalities. And if you can manage your own personality and have a positive effect on those around you, of course, people are going to want to do business with you. So I think what you're referring to before you have the contentment, it's about, it's, it's your state. It's controlling that your state, you know, mental, emotional, energetic state, how you show up. And if you show up kind of, as I said, off kilter or pissed off or or upset or flat, then straight away that flows down to your team and you'll start to see that reflected in what's going on. And whether we like it or not, as leaders in our businesses, what's going on is our fault, you know? And if everyone's kind of flat and stuff, you've got to look in the mirror and say, okay, well, how am I creating that? Because definitely is a big, big part of that. So, and I know when you introduced those values fairly early on of us you know, starting to work together nearly three years ago, mm. what percentage of your team did you replace in the subsequent, you know, three to six months after you started to introduce that? Uh, 50 to 75% at a guess. Yeah. Which is quite normal. That, ha- that can happen when you start to say, hey guys, this is what we stand for. This is why we do what we do. This is what our goal is and this is who we need to be. People start to either get attracted to it or repelled from it. And the values in that business as they become part of the DNA and you use it in your language every day and, and you assess people's performance based first and foremost on their alignment with the values, not on the performance of their tasks, because they're aligning to the values, generally speaking, they will be performing the tasks at a high level. But it's usually when something happens and that shifts that you need to then jump in and have those crucial conversations with people and say, hey, what's happening? I noticed you were living this value at a really high level, but something's changed. Can I, can I support you? How can we help? You know, and it's, it's, it's more collaborative approach that way, but it definitely makes an improvement to the culture, doesn't it, Deb? Oh, 100%. And interestingly, what happens when you bring a new person into your culture that is that you thought was aligned that isn't they're repelled by the others that are there that just it's never me dismissing people it's always about the rest of the team realizing that gee this person is just doesn't fit so it it is a natural attrition then they they end up leaving if that's the case yeah so it's a it's a it's it's a it's a, a peer group that holds everyone accountable to the standard that you as a leader would like them to be accountable to it's, it's a very, very powerful thing that you've done there, Deb. But one of the interesting things about success, Deb, is when you look at Instagram, when you listen to motivating speakers or influencers, by and large, success seems to be something that's just grinding a hard work. And very few of these successful people talk about the many, many failures that they've experienced to get there. Is there any failure that you had, Deb, in your journey? So anything that really shook you to the core that allowed you to improve or become more successful in your career as a businesswoman? The word failure, I, it never really, it's just, it, it might sound strange, but it's just not ever been in my vocabulary. I just, I, I couldn't even, I, I don't think I've ever failed. I've made mistakes and I've learned from things, but I, I just don't 
use the word fail and I it's just I, I don't know whether it was in my my upbringing but we just it's not a we don't fail there's been many things that have shook me to the core and I look back on and think oh my god unloading a piece of glass in my pajamas with my next door neighbor in the slippers in the rain in on my sloping driveway that weighed 100 kilos was probably not a good move back in the day and probably broke my neighbor's back other instances great neighbor though what a yeah, step I, in there and help you with that one wow you, you really know who your neighbors are then <laughs> she's still my best friend to this day <laughs> and i would never do that now other things was just being really having being a poor judge of character look i've had team members that have you know done drugs in the toilet that have thrown hammers on work sites that have i've called police on people when i've locked myself in my office look i've made some really poor choices <laughs> tradesmen so but you can't i don't think you can be a good judge of character until you've been a bad a bad one yeah probably yeah and i think also making desperate um in it depending on you know the economy when when construction was booming sort of five years ago or more and you you know you, you had to sort of there was a bit of a take what you can get to fulfill the jobs if i knowing what i know now if i was in that scenario today i would not take the work on if i didn't have the adequate resources to well, but one of the things i've seen too deb over the time though in that i've known you is that you've grown your business substantially but your team hasn't grown by the same number of multiples has it you become more effective as a team and you're getting more work coming through like more outcomes with in a more efficient and effective way because you've got higher caliber people in the team absolutely so even since covid we've dropped two and added one so we're still sort of one full-time equivalent behind where we were in march however our numbers are certainly not reflecting that right now so yeah, I think that's definitely the case. And one of our core values as a team is continuous, you know, improving continuously. And that's certainly the case. That's a great value to have is, is always being you know, consistently looking mm. for ways to innovate, to improve. You know, I've seen it in your business, seen it in many businesses. There's a good friend of mine, also in a circle, Deb uh, Darren, who has uh, a Terracorp up in Darwin. And he bought the business about eight, seven or eight years ago was doing, I think, under, under 50 tonne of product a month. He's now doing over 400 tonne a month with the same team members. Yeah. And, right. uh, without having any additional shifts or anything. And it's that thing about there's always a way to improve. You can always do something better. You can always do something faster. And it comes down to, I know, I know some of the stuff that obviously that you teach, Boo, with the, um, with the whole concept of debriefing is, is going and figuring out what was our outcome, what happened, you know, what's our response to that and then move, apply that learning and then take it into the next situation the same. And it's one of those things that most business owners that aren't successful, I guess the, some of the context of, of the few is around, and I like the way you put it, Boo, about looking through a piece of glass is the reference you use. So interestingly, we're talking about not, glass. Not just because we have you on the show, Deb, yeah, no, but we not, actually, talking, we actually did that. use that analogy to, <laughs> to say, like, hey, how do you, you know, when you're younger or when we're aspirational, it always feels like there's a bit of glass between you and the person you want to be. And a few of us managed to break through and get to be the, the person that we, that we want to be. And I think one of those key attributes is you've highlighted is it's all about me. And, and when it's all about you, it's a good and a bad thing. And, yeah. and always got to be better and, and, and improve and innovate. And that's a key part of, of being successful. Another part of being successful, Deb, that you think is, is the ability to do what we call the SLJs, the shitty little jobs. 
and to do the little things well. Because uh, one of the other things about people, again, when you own your own business, the longer you own it, the harder it is to stay in the detail. And you start, uh, and I notice this, particularly consulting with larger companies, is you lose an attachment between <laughs> what has to be done versus what you think needs to be done. Do you value the importance and, and people that can do the, the shitty little things well? I love the shitty little jobs and I need to not do them anymore. And I've slowly started to delegate them. And I have. However, sometimes I'm a list person and I do love the endorphins you get from ticking off the tasks on your list. So some days, depending on where my head's at, I will tackle the shitty little jobs. But yeah, our whole team knows that that is the utmost important. You have to do the one percenters. And part of what Greater Glass is, is known for is our trusted product and our first-class service from start to finish. And that is includes from the start to the finish, includes a lot of shitty little jobs along the way. And they all have to be done with the same vigour and perfection that the big important jobs are done, 100%. I think, Deb, there's something you said there that I think a lot of people have a, there's a bit of a, I suppose, a theme that goes around. I think it comes from you know, Steve Covey and things like where you, go, you do the big rocks first and all this sort of stuff. So you should focus on the strategic stuff. So get in there early, start working on these big rocks and, and do all this sort of stuff and, and get it done. See, I find that like you, sometimes I'll need, and usually most mornings, I'll need a few SLJs to get my momentum up and then I can tackle the big stuff. I can't jump into the big stuff immediately i need to get a bit of a, a bit of kind of momentum energetic and ticking a few things off then i'm like right now i'm ready to jump into the big one and i think people need to understand there are different ways of processing that as long as you're not continuously procrastinating on these more important strategic things but those as you say the shitty little jobs is that one percent that if that breaks that one link in the chain breaks the chain is no longer the chain breaks right and those shitty little jobs are just as important as one of the most important jobs because it's also a link in the chain so if one's weak and it breaks, then that chain has no strength whatsoever. It's broken, you know, and, and it's important for, I think, people to understand themselves enough awareness to go, well, I tried that big rock thing, big rock thing, and it was like I was pushing the proverbial uphill, you know, all the time. And, and so then when I started to get that 30 minutes or so of momentum going, answer some emails, do a few things here, clear my inbox up a bit, ah, I feel you know, charged up, then I dive straight into some of the big stuff, you know, which is um, a, a you know, different way to do it. Absolutely. I think systemize and automate everything you can. But like you, Sean, I need to, I can't, I have to, my desk has to be in a certain order. It has to be clean. And if that involves doing a few shitty little jobs first and then set me up, okay, then I, I'm in the right headspace to tackle the big strategic stuff. But we have spent a good 12 to 18 months getting our business to the next level of systemization and automation. And there was, you know, change is hard and, and our team, not everyone was on board from the get-go. But a few months down the track, they can still have their, their pen and paper list if that's what makes them feel good. But they have realised definitely the value of, of automating uh, what you can to get rid of those shitty little jobs. And how hard was it overcoming, you know, in the trade industry, how hard was it overcoming uh, the resistance to some of the team to actually use the technology? Uh, very hard and some of those people aren't with us anymore and the ones that are realise the value of it so they should be there and I am so blessed my team all of them are amazing and an individual in their own right okay and over the last you know particularly the last three years I know that uh, in our group you 
won an award called the Executioner Award, which was for you know, the. Well, that, sound, that sounds ominous. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a bit scary. Go watch out for Deb. But, uh, but it was about how you take things, assimilate, process them, assimilate how it's going to work for you, and then you go and execute. And that's one of those really strong traits that, that I think a lot of people lack is the ability to actually execute. And so I guess what, what are the habits or techniques that you've developed over the last few years to really allow you to execute and just, just get shit done? You know, like what have you been able to do? I think my impatience, that's one thing that it is good for. I want it now. I want it yesterday. So oh, what- don't, don't talk about pa- my partner and I are right in the middle of a whole uh, patience, yoga, slow the thing down process. Yeah. Now we're talking about yeah, being yeah, impatient, being successful. Okay. Gonna... <laughs> COVID has been great for me and I've always been told that being impatient is not a good thing. But in this case, I think it helps my ability to execute. I also have a number of rituals that I start my morning, most mornings with meditation and a small journal. And I'm talking about a maximum of 15 minutes. And I only started doing that about two or three years ago. And my brain, I said, I could never, I told myself a story for a very long time. I could never meditate because my brain doesn't work like that. My brain doesn't slow down. However, what I found, uh, even while I still have thoughts coming in and it's not a perfect process or meditation by any stretch of the imagination, but it does give me the ability to frame my day. So often things will come up. And an answer to something I've been mulling over for a long time will come up in the morning. I set myself up for the day. I am task orientated. I have goals for the week that I try and achieve. And I guess that's probably, it's no secret. I'm sure a lot of people do that. And also delegate more and more. And I wasn't great at delegating initially. And I think I um, didn't spend the time I needed to make things simple for people. And I found a huge... I think you and everyone else did. It's like, <laughs> why can't you just... Here, here's, here's the job. Take it. Why can't you just do it? I can do it. It's not that hard. Do what you're told. Do what you're told. This, this and this, you know. But the thing is, what we're giving them is content. And, not and they're lacking the context. Correct. The context That's- around it. That's made a massive difference. The reason that you need to do it like this is because the end result is this. And the other thing we introduced as a leadership team was I, you know, everyone was giving me their bottleneck every week so I could analyse it and work out how to fix it. And we've reframed that and we are doing a what a proper debrief process. So that helps to execute things quicker as well because everybody needs to analyse their week on a Friday and provide me the good, the bad and the ugly and what the solution to or the outcome of their week was in a debrief format. And it's literally forcing them to think about what worked and what didn't work. And from that, that's pushing our business forward quicker and allowing me to, to execute better because I'm not creating all the solutions they are. And then I'm taking away and making suggestions, but my suggestions are based on solutions that they've already put forward so that's uh, so at least at least it's good to see that you're upholding your executioner status having taken the learnings from the afterburner program we did with boo a few months ago and yes applying it straight yeah. in the business you know? and running. yes that's <laughs> it's great that's great so deb you're talking there a little bit about delegation and getting the team to do more for you let's have a look at your journey when you started this business how important is having the right people around you to accelerate the growth of your business? Hugely. 
I used to think. And on the flip side, how if you don't, how big an impact does that have? So we've. I've had other family members working for us. I used to hire people so I could save them and I didn't even realise I was doing that. Oh, this kid's so nice. Oh, his family's lovely. Oh, he comes from a rough background. Oh, I'll give him a job and that'll help him. That doesn't help my business or me or the other people that I'm trying to nurture and have a career in, in glass. So I, I learned very quickly that not to hire, not to hire for a cultural fit and hire people that are smarter than you, that have a different perspective in life because many perspectives are better than everyone having the same perspective. I've always said to my team, and we talk about this on a regular basis, I want them to tell me when I need my, to pull my head in, mm. just as I will tell them. If I'm, you know, and I think most of them, not all of them, I think it's uncomfortable and I completely accept that some personalities will never be able to do that. But particularly our customer service manager, my right hand, Carol, is I think very comfortable to say, Deb, that, was, that didn't come out right. That was out of line the way you just delivered that to whoever, whatever the situation is. And, 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 and it's still hard to take that feedback, isn't it? Even though you know it's good for you, the, the first time you hear it, you kind of have that, Ugh. No, this is good for me. It's yeah, uh, and it, I I found over you know twenty years of learning that self criticism is good. It still it still hurts the minute you hear it. Your body's instinct is to say ah. Uh, and I sometimes like I I still will have to go away and process it, and it might even be the next day. Usually, it's only a few minutes later that I go, oh my god, yeah, that was wrong. <laughs> but you know, it is. It's, it makes you feel good because you do feel like you're learning as a person and. And you don't have to agree either. It just do you, do you go and address that? If you've realised a few minutes later, gone, hmm, I definitely could have done that a bit better. Do you then go to the individual and say to them, look, I've got to own the fact that I was projecting or a bit, bit rough or a bit angry or whatever. Do you, did you close the loop on that with your team? Yes, I have to for my own peace of mind, but I don't always close the loop immediately because it, depending on the scenario, I think timing's everything. And if I think they're not prepared to hear me say that, then and there I might wait until the next day. Yep, yep. That makes sense. That makes mm. sense. So I guess one of the things that happens a lot in business is, is overwhelm. It's getting overwhelmed, getting unfocused and that sort of thing. And it's, and it's so prevalent with all these different, you know, things going on, apocalyptic world, pandemic events and things, you know, or the zombie apocalypse or whatever you want to call it, all this other stuff happening that's completely random. Plus you've got, you know, people at you on email, phone, Facebook, carrier pigeons, you name it. We've got bombarded with stuff all the time. So it's no surprise that everyone's, you know, getting to the point where a lot of the time there's a lot of potential overwhelm happening. When you get to a point where you're like, ah, there's just too much going on, what are you observing at that time and how do you then move to go back to a more centered i suppose bringing that emotion down bring your intelligence back up again and just get on with it again just to take a step back from that like with all the social media and all the bits and pieces the first thing i think i did was to have everything synced to one calendar just having to look multi like i think i missed a couple of really important meetings <laughs> In fact, one was a 6 a.m. meeting, toolbox talk with the whole team, barbecue breakfast, and, and I didn't show up. <laughs> I organised and didn't show up. Way to so make an impact, yeah. <laughs> it went down really well. And can you believe it? Nobody even rang to tell me. They just waited for me to rock up at 9 o'clock. 
you forgetting something? I was so embarrassed. So I think then I was like, shit, I need to sync all my calendars into one. So that was the first thing. And then having one list that you're working off. Like I've got a scrap piece of paper, obviously, next to me when at my desk, but I do work off one task list, which is in our CRM software. And that syncs to my phone. So does our job scheduling and so does my Google calendar. So everything and my family calendar, everything is in the one place, color-coded. I can add stuff in that alarms my husband of kids, sport or whatever. And all my other meetings are in one place. So I can't ever, that can never happen to me again. So that helped massively with my overwhelm. The other thing is this whole self-awareness, which sometimes that doesn't happen Last week I was sick with the flu or some sort of a cold thing. I'd like a man flu thing. COVID, there's this thing, it's going around. I know, I actually had to go. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, and then my dad had a heart attack last week and then I, you know, just after I'd had my COVID test and I couldn't go and sit, like all this shit was just hitting me in the face. We're getting stuff done at home and the builder had a motorbike accident and blew his knee out. So the whole, my house is still all up. I've got walls missing. It's funny though, isn't it? It's funny how... For whatever reason, it all amalgamates into it. And, and no doubt about four weeks uh, before that, everything was going beautifully in life. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. And this week's been wonderful. I'm actually trying not to think about how awesome it is because everything. Well, I'm assuming your, your dad's great. okay. Your dad is okay My though. He's had a stick put in and he's at home. But yeah, nice. I did recognize, I, I had a cry and I thought, oh my God, what's going on? I thought, oh my God, because I don't cry. I'm just a non-crying person. And I thought, oh my God, I'm crying. This is bad. And then I thought, no, it's not. It's actually good. This is this is what should be happening. I'm and I'm at home and I've, you know, get a reality check. I kind of like almost awesome. slap myself in the face. And because you can stack <laughs> things on top of one another and just and that's okay. Like it's it's okay to have a I think if you're a leader and in that scenario, if you cannot be around your team, that's okay too. Just to go, now's not the best. Yeah, you've got to be able to lean on them too. You've got to be able to ask for support. And that, the reference that I used to what you were saying before about, you know, having to be a bit selfish, it's actually you're being selflessly selfish. So you're mm. actually doing it for the purpose of being able to show up as the best version of yourself. Absolutely. You show up as a crap version of yourself. Everyone gets and has to deal with a crap version of yourself. Yeah. And, that's that, and that's that thing. And as you say, you know, if you start stacking these things on top of each other, they start getting really bloody heavy. And yeah. having a list where you have them, you know, one after, you know, and I'm not going to use a vertical you know, frame here because that's what a stack is. But if you've got a list with the number one, number two, number three, number four, number five, and you focus on them one at a time, they don't add on to each other. They don't like mm. duplicate the weight. You know, you're not carrying everything around at once. And that's a strategy that I've been using the same thing, the single list, the single counter, also stuff for about 15 years. It's incredibly effective. Everything goes in that list. If I think of it, I just go and put it straight in the list. Just an idea. Well, it's it. It sets you up and, and Deb talked about it before about getting the endorphin rush. The thing about having those SLJs and one thing, if you do it first thing in the morning, that's your first small win of the day. And a yeah. small win gets the biochemistry and the neurochemicals flowing in your, in your brain and then through your body. And that's power that's for free. That's extra batteries. Just because we've won, the body doesn't know the difference between winning big or winning small. It has the same chemical reaction. So yeah. those little things are the keys to kick-starting your day and I I mean I've, we've all had days right where, I don't know maybe it's just me well I get absolutely nothing done but yep. it certainly sets me up for the next day to go right you know first thing tomorrow you've got to win small and just by making that little adjustment you have a much more productive day the, the What's very that principle day? of make your bed you know yeah 
Oh, you start, you start, you start to achieve something as soon as you get up. Yep. I was going to say shave, but then I'm looking at my own face here, realizing that's probably not a really not a good <laughs> example to use. We're not, we're not brain surgeons or fighter pilots. Like we, like it's. Oh, they're not. We're not one in the same. Don't worry about that. <laughs> but realistically, and and I say this to my seventeen year old as well. You need to sometimes you just need to sleep on it. Tomorrow's another day. It's not the end of the world. Whatever it is, it seems bad. Always is better the next day. It's okay to have a shit day. Every now Absolutely, and then. it's okay to have a shit day or many shit days. I, I learned that. Yeah, I learned that in uh, in my divorce, the value of the draft file is uh, is is really, really, really very good because everything, the feelings from the day before tend to mellow somewhat uh, yes. you know, the, the following day. Uh, Deb, look, it's been it's been an absolute uh, pleasure having you on on here today. You can what I love about speaking to the few is you you just get a sense the energy from them and the selflessness uh, that comes from from running your own business. So, how Deb, as we as we wind off the, the podcast how long have you been pushing the barrow now greater glass how long have you been on this success journey uh 17 years i think yep. so we it all sort of came about when um, i was pregnant with ryan and he's 17 so on and off i think i jumped into the deep end and left corporate sort of consulting world actually it's about 13 years ago so since i've had any other income apart from our business so yeah it's really proud this is another over the last three over the last sort of say three years or so would you say you've made more progress than the first 14 one (laughs) absolutely and it's like it's that whole thing of yeah take 17 years to become an overnight success you know Um, but as, as you said before boo it's that it's that grinding it's just continuously showing up doing what's needed whether it's surviving just just, yeah, just showing just putting up. food on the table first you know yeah. and you've shown up for 17 years deb and despite the first 14 being a bit less you know of it all coming together you're creating puzzle pieces and over the last three you've been able to put those puzzle pieces together and get a much clearer picture on on that trajectory so you know we really do want to thank you for sharing some of your journey uh, deb really really appreciate it so thank you for that final question though before we go i'd, I'd love to just to leave something for our listeners to chew on. The final question is, you know, what's the number one thing that you've learned in your life and business or life and or business that you would love to go back and teach a younger version of yourself? Probably don't rush. It's not about the getting, it's, it's about the journey, 100%. I was always in a rush to get to the end. The end is the end of your life. I don't want to be there yet. I'm enjoying where I am now just to take the time, do things properly. And the other key thing is someone once said to me, and I didn't get it straight away, was exchange in abundance. I really truly believe that what you give and the energy you put out there and and how you are to other people will definitely come back tenfold. So in everything you do, exchange in abundance and enjoy the journey. Fantastic. Once again, Deb, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, looking forward to... uh, sharing this with uh, with our listeners yeah, yeah so- wonderful that's fantastic uh, deb but look if you're looking at taking advantage of scomo's home reno make sure you get on a greater glass and get booked that glazing job with deb and the team also for our uh, sponsors and partners icmi if you need a speaker icmi.com.au for a, a wonderful uh, influencer you're looking at finding a community to help you take it to the next level then make sure you find uh, seansool.com or google sean sool's uh, inner circle for your team building 
or working together better as a team and learning a little bit more about yourself, uh, afterburner.com.au or afterburner.com if you're uh, outside Australia. And finally, uh, to our uh, sponsors who help us with all the podcasting here, give us all the kit at momentummedia.com.au. Thank you, Deb. Thank you, Sean. Uh, Thank you again for sharing what it is to be one of the few. Cheers. This has been The Few Podcast with Boo and Sean. If you've got value from this episode and you would like to support us, please share it with your friends. If you're posting this on social media, use the hashtag The Few so we can see who's listening. The Few Podcast is recorded at Momentum Media in Sydney, Australia. To listen to more episodes, visit us at fewpodcast.com and make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Dream big, keep pushing, and one day you can become one of the few. We'll see you next week.